Well, this is week number one of our five-part series that we're calling Made for More. This is a vision series. This is a spiritual maturity series. This is a series uh, you're going to look back five weeks from now and be in a different place than you are today series. It's going to be fun. I think we're going to enjoy it. The first Sunday I preached last month, I wanted to observe the Lord's Supper or communion kind of as a a symbolic start to my pastorate here saying it's not about me, it's all about Jesus. Uh, Now, I've been in church my whole life and communion has always been a cup and some bread, right? That's what it is. Uh, But that's not how Jesus observed it. When Jesus observed the Passover meal, which is taking place, it starts on Friday, the Passover celebration. From the book of Exodus until today, when Jewish people celebrate Passover, there would have been the bread, and then there would have been not one cup, but four cups. They would actually read through this one passage of scripture, the same passage has been read since Exodus, the story of Moses, until today during Passover. And in this passage, there are four statements. And with each each statement, they would drink a glass of wine. I remember the first time I heard about this, and it was new news to me. But I always wondered, because in Luke 22, it talks about the Lord's Supper. And the cup is mentioned several times there. And I said, why is it talking about the cup so much? And then I got, oh, there's not one cup, but there's four cups. And every time there was a statement, Jesus would have had a glass of wine which with each statement that was said. And the statements represent God's plan for people's lives. It was God's plan that he had for the children of Israel when they left Egypt. But those plans are eternal and extend to us today. In fact, they're all throughout the Bible. They're in the Great Commission of Jesus. They're found in the book of Acts. They're in the Old and New Testament. It's literally cover to cover. This is God's plan for people's lives. Now, some of this is going to sound familiar to you if you were here on March 3rd when our family came in view of a call. Uh, We touched on these four things that day, but I want to spend the next five weeks in really elaborating on these four ideas and what it looks like for Colonial Hill Baptist Church because I believe if we're going to have a great church, We've got to implement these four ideas into our programming and ministry that God wants to do in and through you. Have you ever had the thought there has to be more? Anybody had that thought before? Like I was made for something more. Surely there's more to life than this. Uh, It's more than I'm currently experiencing. Like we're Colonial Hill. Like I want to go to the top of the hill. Is there something up there? I want all that God has for me. If there's something more of God to get, I want to receive that. Amen, anybody? Like if there's more, I want more, right? I want to begin with this simple thought. And more than 3,500 years ago, God made some promises to a group of people in Egypt, the Israelites. And those promises continue to stand at the heart of everything he wants to do in your life and my life today. The God of the universe has an offer on the table for you and they're in the form of promises. And we're going to talk about God's promises this morning. Second Peter 1, now this is not on the screen, but beginning in verse 2. It says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life. You have everything you need to have a godly life. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, verse four, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Did you catch that? This is so big. So promises have a purpose. There's a reason that we have the promises of God. And through promises, you're able to participate in the divine nature. 
chances are you're probably participating in something and it's not quite divine, right? Like you're living a very natural life and it doesn't feel like you're you're not living the pages of scripture. You're living some days what the devil would have planned for your life. God says, no, I don't want you to have a natural life. I want you to have a supernatural life. That's what I want for you. So the promises help you participate in that divine nature and help you escape corruption in the world. Anybody want both of those? I do. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give me some of that? God, let you live this supernatural life. And the promises, Ephesians 6 says that the word of God is this sword of the spirit. These promises are a weapon that we wield against the enemy to help us escape the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. Jot this down if you're a note taker. This is the definition of promise. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. That's what a promise is. A promise is an offer with a guaranteed result. I just want to dangle that carrot in front of you this morning and let you know that God has an offer on the table for you. God has an offer for you. Chances are all of us haven't fully realized that offer. You are made for more than you realize. There's an offer. And it's in the form of promises. And we're going to look at those promises today. And when God makes a promise, look at me. When God makes a promise... He always keeps his promise. He always keeps his promise. I know that you've been on the, on the receiving end of broken promises. We all have. From employers, spouses, parents, peers. Some of we've had a, a, a promise broken. Not God. Not your God. He always fulfills his promises. Look at what Joshua 21 says. Not one, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Now, that's not to say that somewhere along the way they didn't think he was going to come through in the promise, but he always did. They thought God was not going to fulfill it. Uh, It looked like he wasn't, but he ended up doing it. It's usually never in the way we think it's going to happen, but he always fulfills it. And some of you have actually had that thought, no, God does go back on some of his promises. I've seen him in scripture and they're not happening in my life. Some of your thought process, no, 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 he always fulfills them, and I'm going to show you how in just a moment if you're not seeing that in your life. Hebrews 6, this is from a message translation. I just like the way it's written. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word, a rock-solid guarantee. God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. In other words, these promises are eternal. They're unconditional. They're unchangeable. He always wants to do them. There's nothing you can do where God says, forget it. You can't have my promises anymore. No, they're unchangeable. You need to know that. And then it goes on to say in verse 18, we who have run for our very lives to God have every reason to grab the promised hope with both hands and never let go. And that's the journey we're gonna go on is I wanna reveal some promises to you and if you'll grab hold of them and you'll live them out, you'll experience more of God than you ever have before. Now, if you're perfectly happy where you are, you say, you know what, Reed, I'm good. Uh, I like my life. (laughs) This might not be the church for you, okay? Because we're going somewhere. God's got more for us. I love you. But like, I want to go, I I want all that God has for me. Amen, anybody? Like if God has more for our church, if God has more for your family, if God has more for your marriage, if God has more for you personally, I want more of God. And so that's what we're going to pursue together. Let's go after God's very best. Three things you need to know about God's promises. Number one, you need to know them. You need to know God's promises. A lot of us know some of them. Some of us don't know any of them, and that's okay, but there are thousands of promises, and we need to start knowing 
the promises of God. Listen to this. First Chronicles 17, 19 says, Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing. And David's just worshiping God because he says, you've made known all these great promises. Like I know them. I know the promise. David is celebrating the fact that I see it now, God. You say, Pastor Reed, where are all these promises? They're right here. They're in his word. This book is a book of promises. It will let you experience the divine nature and help you escape the corruption that's in the world caused by evil desires. That's why it's absolutely imperative that if you want to grow in your walk with God, if you want to experience all that God has for you, you need to read this book. You need to read it every day. Don't just come to church on Sunday and let me read it to you. I want you to read this book. And I would just say, don't read it to conquer it. I think a lot of times we do that. So I liken reading my word to chopping a tree. Some of you had started a one-year reading plan. If you read the Bible three and a half chapters a day, then you get through the whole Bible in a year. So you started a reading plan on January 1. You said, okay, this is the year. I'm going to get through the whole Bible. And it's April 14th and you're still on February 4th. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody been there before? You get to Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus numbers, right? And it just gets, and then you just stop. And then you get behind, now you're three and a half, now you're seven, now you're ten and a half chapters back, and you just give up. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I think about it like chopping a tree in the front yard. I'm going to go out to that tree, and I'm going to grab my axe, and I'm going I'm to swing at it. Now, I might swing three and a half times. I might swing 20 times. I might read three and a half chapters today. I might read three and a half verses today, but I'm going to read it every day. I'm going to read it every day. Again, if it's three books, three chapters, or three verses, I'm going to read it every day. Then I'm going to put my axe down. I'm going to go back in my home. I'm going to come out tomorrow. I'm going to pick up my axe, and I'm going to read it again. And again, I might read three verses. I might read three chapters. I might read three books. But I'm going to read. I'm going to put my axe down. I'm going to go back inside and do it again tomorrow. Guess what happens to that tree eventually? Yeah, it falls. It falls. So don't beat yourself up if you're behind in your Bible reading plan. It's okay if it takes you three years to finish a one-year reading plan. Just keep reading. Go up there and say, okay, God, every day I'm going to read. And this is what I do when I'm in my time with God. I just want one promise, just one thing to leap off the page to me. And let me just say this too. Every day this doesn't all speak to me. So let me encourage you with that. Maybe, maybe that's an encouragement. You read that and go, I don't know what that has to do with my life right now, Lord. There's moments where I say the same thing, but there, there, I just want you to find one promise, one nugget, one truth where you say, okay, that is, that's good. I'm going to rest in that promise today. And let me tell you, when life doesn't make sense, you need to hold on to the promises of God. Hold on to them. When you're going through something difficult, that's when you need the promises of God more than ever before. One of the disciplines my wife and I have is uh, whenever there's something going on in our life, we try to cling to the promises of God, right? We just sing it, stand on the promises of God. And we try to find a verse. There's not a situation you will face where God hasn't given you one of his great and precious promises. So if you have fear in your heart, Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? If you feel like the enemy is coming against you, uh, hey, 1 John 4, 4, he that is in me is greater than he that's in the world. Romans 8, 31, if God is for me, who can be against me? If you feel tempted, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has seized you except what's common to man. And God's faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. But when I am tempted, he will provide a way out so that I can stand up against it. 
If I'm going through financial struggles, Philippians 4, 19, God shall supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Couple that with Matthew 6, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things. All those things we worry about will be added to me as well. If you've got trouble in your home or in your office, Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Just come to me for peace. In me, you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Couple that with Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ, you live in me. I have an overcomer in me. I have Jesus Christ in me, in my body. If you've got disease in your body, Psalm 103, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. If you've got trouble in your world, Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7, God is your refuge and your strength, a never-present help in, hope, in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with you. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I'm fired up. Come on. You got to cling to the promises of God. All right. When you're going to the dentist, crown him with many crowns. No, that's not in the verse. That's not a Bible. That's not in the Bible. <laughs> there is a verse that says, uh, open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. That's your dentist verse. There you go. Many of you know when I was 12 years old, I lost my dad. And my mother and I, we had a promise. Psalm 68.5. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows. Is God in his holy dwelling. I cannot tell you the times that we clung to that verse that God, you're our father. And you're our defender, and we need you. Find some promises, but you gotta know them. You gotta know them. You gotta know the promises. Find a verse. Number two, you gotta understand them. I need to understand the promises of God. And this is where some of you might say God's into false advertising. He says stuff, but he doesn't do it. Well, it's because you may not understand the promises. Listen to Numbers 23. This is out of the New Living Translation. God's not a man. So he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? To which some of you are thinking, yep. Yeah, he's promised and not carried it through. And that's where you would not fully understand his promises. There are three things you need to know about the promises of God. One, when God has them, he doesn't change his mind. They're eternal. They're unchangeable. They're unconditional. You cannot sin enough to keep him from wanting to do them in your life. So that's one, they're unconditional. Number two is although they're unconditional, they're still conditional. Like every promise has a premise. There's some role for you to play walking in right relationship with God. Like I, I wanna bless my kids. I do, I wanna bless my kids. And I have way more stuff than them so I can. But my kids have to be in right relationship with JC and I, or I can't bless them. If they're not part of the family, I can't bless them. And some of you might be saying, well, well, God doesn't fulfill his promises. Are you in right relationship with God? It's a good question. So you got to be in right relationship in the family for God to say, I want to give you my promises. In addition to that, you need to know that he always requires faith. And let me just give you some pastoral advice. Just get used to it. That's just the way he operates. It's the way he's always operated. Some of us want God to give us stuff, but we don't want faith. Just do it. I just want you to do it, Lord. That'd be great, right? But he's not going to do it 
unless you trust him, unless you depend on him, because he knows that'll draw you nearer to him, and that's what he wants. I think about in in the Bible, when Jesus fed the 5,000, he could have just made manna appear. He'd done it before, just fed everybody, but he didn't do that. What did he do? He took a little boy's lunch. Hey, what you got? Five dinner rolls, okay, and two small fish, and then he blessed it, and he fed 5,000, and there were 12 basketfuls left over. Again, he could have just made manna appear, but he said, I'm going to take what you gave me, and then I'm going to do what I can do. In John 9, there's a man that's born blind, and he approaches Jesus and is looking for healing, and so Jesus could have healed him with the word, but he doesn't. He's done it before, but he didn't in that moment. He spits in the dirt and makes mud and he cakes it on the guy's eyes. He said, I want you to walk all the way across town to the pool of Siloam and wash out your eyes and you will see. Why? Why didn't he just heal him on the spot? He'd done that before with many, many people. Well, this guy couldn't offer him anything, but he says, you know what you can offer me? Your faith. Just walk across town. You do what you can do. and know it's not much and then watch what I can do. So sometimes, not all the time, but oftentimes God says, I want you to give me what you can give me. Right? And then let me do what I can do. Some people are praying for a job, but they're not filling any ap- applications out. <laughs> He's like, hey, fill the applications out and let, let me be God. Okay, I'll get you the job. But don't just think it's going to magically fall in your lap. You have to do your part. Um, here's the last thing you need to know. In order to understand his promises, God does it in his way and in his time. And that's the part we really don't care about. Uh, (laughs) God is notoriously slow in our understanding of slowness. He's patient. And I've understood that over time that while he's delivering on the uh, promise, he's doing something in you and I in the process. That's why he's sometimes slow is when he's delivering the promise, he's doing something in you in the process. And I've told the Lord, Lord, just I'll go to heaven dumb. Can you just help me out here? Right. Whatever I need to get through this. And he goes, no, Reed, I'm trying to teach you something. And oftentimes, the quicker I learn the something he's trying to teach me, the quicker he delivers on the promise, just for whatever that's worth. He never fails. He never fails. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us, uh, by us, to the glory of God. So you need to know his promises. You need to understand his promises. And here's the last one, and really what the series is all about. We need to pursue his promises got to chase after him. And I'm going to help you do that. Notice what King David said about God's promises in Psalm 119, 140. It says, your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Some of you haven't thoroughly tested God's promise. You tried, you prayed for it. It didn't happen immediately. So you just threw in the towel and said, I guess he's not going to come through for me. David said, no, no, no. When I thoroughly tested the promises, wow. I saw they're true and your servant absolutely loves them. And then eight verses later, he says this, my eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on your promises. So David's thinking about them all the time. I just love your promises. He's lying in bed at night going, God, you're so good. Thank you for the promises that you've given us. He's pursuing him. And I think it's gonna take that kind of zeal and energy and fortitude and focus for you to realize them. But if you do, the Bible says it's glorious living for you. Glorious living. I looked up the etymology of the word promise and its first use is in the 15th century. And the word promise comes from two words, the pra part and the miss part are two words that literally mean to stand forth, uh, send forth, I'm sorry, send forth. But here's the cool part. It always makes a guarantee about your future. 
Hear me out, church. I can make a guarantee about your future. If you'll know the promises, you'll understand the promises, and you'll pursue God's promises, I guarantee you're going to experience God in a way you never have before. You were made for more. But you have to pursue them. You have to know them, you have to understand them, and you have to pursue them. Because the original promise, the original four promises that God made to Israel that Jewish people still pray through every Passover. So Passover starts on Friday. They're going to read this passage of Scripture. And and there are thousands of promises in this book, but they're all centered around four, four core promises. And I want to touch on them today briefly, and then we'll kind of uh, give them detail in the weeks to come. They're found in Exodus 6, 6 and 7. These are the two verses that Jewish people will read this week when they take Passover. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. That's the first thing God wants to do. Remember how the Israelites were enslaved to the Egyptians, and God says, I just got to get you out of there. I'm not worried about changing you. I'm not worried about fixing you. I'm not worried about telling you what your purpose in life is. I just got to get you out of Egypt. I've got to get you out of the bondage of slavery and bring you out of the yoke of the Egyptians. Then it goes on, it says, I will free you from being slaves to them. That's the second statement, I will free you. So I'll bring you out and I will free you, which is kind of weird because it sounds like it's the same thing. Wait a minute, God, you got me out of slavery. I'm not a slave anymore. And now you're saying you're gonna free me from being slaves. Isn't that the same thing? No, because he knew that he could get people out of Egypt, but it's quite a different thing to get Egypt out of people. If you remember reading that story, they're free from Egypt. And God is providing them manna every morning, a miracle, food, just right there when they wake up. It's already ready to eat for the day. And they kept complaining about, remember when we were in Egypt and we were enslaved? We had onions and leeks and meat to eat. And he's going, really? I got you out of slavery and now your heart longs for the things that when you were enslaved. Well, sometimes God does it. He says, I got to get you out of the situation, but I also have to get the situation out of you. We're going to study that statement in a couple of weeks. Number three, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. So the third thing is, he says, I've got a promise for you and I will redeem you. You weren't meant to be slaves. You were made for so much more. And I'm going to do that with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I'm going to redeem you to what you were created to do And then verse seven, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. And then you will know that I'm the Lord, your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. So the last thing he says, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a people. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. So I'm going to bring you out. I'm going to free you. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a people. I'm going to make you something great. Now let's look at these four, uh, the four of these as just a tease this morning. Again, we're going to unpack them in detail in the four weeks to come, but I just want to give you just the cliff notes so you can kind of get excited about what's to come. Number one, it says, I will bring you out. That's the first one. That's God's first promise is for you to be saved. God promises me salvation. God promises you salvation. And here's the question. And here really lies the problem. Just about everybody, (laughs) especially in West Texas, thinks I've already done that one. Preacher man, what else you got? Um, Move on. What's the next one? Let's go to the next point, right? And we say that because we grew up in church and we think salvation is our church attendance. It's our denomination. It's that little white card that we filled out. And and that has nothing to do with salvation. All of that has to do with the relationship to a church. Now, it could have happened 
Salvation could have happened in that moment, but for scores of people, they have equated their salvation with their relationship with the church, not a relationship with a God. And there's a big difference, and that is a problem. Well, Pastor Reed, how do I know if I need to be saved or not? Well, I'll let the scriptures speak to you. I'm going to give you a filter because every one of us in the room, including myself, are in one of these four statements. So if you need to be saved today, well, let's, let's look at through the filter of scripture. This is Titus 3, again, from the message. I like this. It says, it wasn't so long ago that we, and he's talking about those of us who are saved, wasn't that long ago that, that we who were saved ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands. What he's saying is that my body was calling the shots. Like if it felt good, do it. Just this hedonistic culture going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back, that's a description of what life without Jesus looks like. I'm dupes of sin, I'm stubborn, hated and hating back. Whatever I want to do with my body, I'll do with my body. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all that. Let me say it this way. If you're still doing that, if you're still stubborn and, and dupes of sin and you're hated and hating back and you're just letting your glands decide how you're going to live, you might need to be saved. I'm just saying. God stepped in and he saved you from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. Here's what he did. I love this next line. He gave us a good bath. Isn't that beautiful? And we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with him. That's what it's about. It's about a relationship with him, not a relationship to a church. It's about a relationship with him. If you're not in a relationship with Jesus, you're not saved. You have to know Jesus. The Bible says salvation is when you're in a relationship with God, not with the church. That's a good thing. I'm not knocking church relationship. That's a great thing. We hope you would be, but that's not salvation. Salvation is relationship with Jesus. So if you're a million miles away from Jesus today, let's get saved. We can settle that today. You can leave here with a different eternal address than you came in here today, and I'd love to do that for you. I don't want your body calling the shots anymore. I don't want you to be dupes of sin. I don't want you hating and hated and hating back. You could be a new creation in Christ. Amen. And the verse concludes, and give us, giving us back our lives, there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. That's the first statement. That is an offer on the table for you to be saved and have a real relationship with Jesus. Come on, somebody, am I excited about that? That's pretty good news that we can be saved today from our sin. Come on. Okay, I just, I just want to make sure y'all with me. That's good news, absolutely. But wait, there's more. Scores of Christians are going to do that one and count that as the final step in the process. I'm saved, so I'm good. No, he has three more promises for you. You were made for more. Because then he says, now that you're out of Egypt, you're saved and out of Egypt, now I've got to get Egypt out of you. I've got to get the junk out of your life. Like if somebody gets saved, we can't expect them to immediately stop sinning. I've got to help get the sin out of your life. Number two, I will free you. I will free you. Chances are 80 to 90% of the room is in this one. You're stuck in this one. You love God, but you've never experienced God's promise of deliverance. Now, I know that word scares a lot of people. <laughs> when you say deliverance, you go, that's what you're thinking. You're thinking about somebody's head spinning around and a Catholic priest 
get out, devil. You never, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about if you're possessed by demons. Deliverance just means it's for people who are trapped in their old sin life. That's what deliverance is. I'm just, I'm just stuck. I have my relationship with God. I'm saved. I'm just still stuck in this old sin life. So if you're a Christian, your sin nature is still interrupting the process. Now, again, a lot of us in the room are there and you could beat yourself up very easily. Oh, I can't believe that. But remember the apostle Paul, the great apostle Paul who planted churches all over Europe and wrote two thirds of the New Testament and of course loved God. He admitted that his old sin nature kept creeping back into his new life in Christ. In fact, he says, yeah, I know the good I want to do but I don't do the good I want to do. I do the things I don't want to do. And he got really frustrated as he's writing Romans. He goes, what a wretched man I am. I love Romans. I love his honesty. And he said this about himself in the very last chapter uh, when he's talking about this. Romans seven twenty five. he says, so then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He said, when sin knocks on my door, <laughs> Hello? I, I answer it. I don't know why I answer it. I always answer it, and it's frustrating. Like a thorn in my side, he calls it. But then he gives us a truth on how to get out of that. I want you to see this. The very next verse, verse uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He goes, when, when, you, when you're in Christ and you open the door to sin, there's no condemnation for any of your past sin, any of your present sin, and even the sin you're going to get to mint tomorrow. That's good news. If you're asking this morning, what does God think about me? Here I am on Sunday. I told him last Sunday I wasn't going to do that. I did it five times this week. Are you mad at me, God? He's like, no, I'm not frustrated with you. I saved you. I got you out of, I want, I want to get it out of you now. I want to give you deliverance. It's a promise I have for you. I can free you. I want you to find freedom from that stuff, from all that. How does it happen? Look at the next verse. Through Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. That's what I want you to experience so badly. Now here's the problem with that one. Tons of Christians get perpetually stuck here. And uh, they go, well, I'm just gonna spend the rest of my life working on me. Right? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Pretty good. You know, I'm just, God's not finished with me yet. We're, we're just, we're, we're stuck there. And you didn't realize there were still two more offers on the table. You were made for more. Okay, if you're not going to amen, I amen myself. Good, that's good preaching, Pastor Reed. Good job, buddy. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, that's, we, there's more. There's more. You were made for more than just, well, I guess I'll just keep trying to get better than I was last year. There's more for you. Let's keep going. Number three, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. Redeem means to put something back to its original intent. God promises me restoration. So you're broken, you get saved, he gets the stuff out of you, and he goes, now I'm gonna put you back to the reason you were created in the first place. God has something for you to do. He has something for you to do. Now, if you don't get excited about this next verse, you need to check your pulse because there's something wrong with you. Okay, Ephesians 1. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Come on. If you don't know who you are and what you're living for, you've not realized the third promise. That's okay. We want to help you. But God wants to reveal your uniqueness. You have a specific role on this planet. He made you for a purpose. Long before, it continues, long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for his glorious living, for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he's working out in everything and everyone. 
All that to say that God has a plan for your life where you get to make a difference in other people's lives. And there's no greater joy. That's exciting. And some of you still don't know what that is. You're living life going, I don't know what I'm here for. Right? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. You're a piece of the puzzle that God wants to use to make the planet better. You're part of the body of Christ. You don't even know what part of the body you are. Am I an ear? Am I a foot? I don't know. You don't even know what that is. And that's the third promise, which is why next month we're starting a next steps class. And my wife and I are going to teach this. It's going to be Sunday mornings during the, the Bible study hour from 930 to 1030. You just have to come one time. So yes, you have to miss your Sunday school class one time and come. And, and we're going to talk about who you are specifically who we are as a church and how we can best advance God's kingdom together. And we're not just going to find out exactly how you're unique, but we're also going to find out how you can actually start serving and making the difference. Colonial Hill Baptist Church exists to get you out, to get it out of you, and then help you find the plan that God has for you. That's, that's why we're here. And we want to help you do that. That's our goal. And then you get the ultimate promise. It's where God ultimately wants us to be, and this is my closing. The final promise of God in this passage is really the most intriguing to me because of the way it's worded. Listen to this. I will take you as my own people. Notice he's been working on you, 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 and now it's no longer a person, it's a people. At the final stage of God's development in life, he says, I want to make you a people. I want to make you a people. You didn't catch it. So at the final stage, because he's gotten you out and he's gotten it out of you, and he's helped you find the thing that he created you to do, then he says, now I'm gonna put you part of a family, part of a community, part of a city, part of a church with a vision. And then together, we're gonna to advance the kingdom of God together. God never fulfills his best in a person by themselves. He always has you in community. All throughout the scriptures, he's always making a body, making a body of Christ. Here's another body of Christ. He wants you to be part of the body of Christ. He wants you to put you together. And it's there that this whole thing becomes so much fun that you won't be able to describe it. In fact, let me say it this way. You'll never know. Look at me. You'll never know how great life could be until you're part of a team that's making a difference in other people's lives eternally. That's it. You'll never know. And I'm dangling that carrot in front of you this morning. There's an offer on the table. God wants to get you out of bondage. He says, I, I don't want to fix you. I don't want to change you. I just want to, I want to, free, I want to set you free. If you're tired of letting your glands decide how you live, if you're tired of being dupes of sin, if you're tired of hated and hating back, I, I want to get you out. And once you get out, you got to let him begin the process of getting the junk out of you, healing you, delivering you, freeing you. And then he'll help you design, find your design, who you are and how you're supposed to serve him specifically. And then he's going to place you strategically at a place on earth where you can make a difference. And there's no greater joy than when you lay down your head at night and say, you know what, God, I have been fulfilled in the promise of fulfillment. Like that's what the promise is. I'm, I'm completely satisfied. I made a difference in somebody's life today. They're going to be in heaven because I played a small role. You were made for more. My friend, that is God's offer for you today. Why don't you bow your heads? Just for a moment, I want you to be very still, very quiet. I want to pray for you, but, but there are people here today who need to receive the first offer on the table. The first is the most important. It's to get you out of bondage. So if you're here today and you say, Reed, I am not in a relationship with God. And some of you have had a relationship, but, but you just walked away. It's a broken relationship. If you're thinking, I don't, 
know if I need to receive that. Here's how you know. Are you following God's plan or are you following your own plan? Are you living for God or are you living for yourself? Are you calling the shots or is God calling the shots? That's why in Romans 10, 9, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You've got to confess it, got to believe, and you've got to believe it in your heart, and then you will be saved. So in just a moment, I'm going to pray the prayer of salvation. There's nothing magical about these words. It's just confessing that Jesus, your Lord, and it's believing that in our hearts and we'll be saved. So I want to know who I'm praying for. Uh, and again, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, but I just want to know if that's you. you say, Reed, I want you to include me in that prayer. I want to make sure that I have a relationship with Jesus. When you talked about that, I am duped of, of sin. I, I, I know that I have some issues. I know that uh, my body is calling the shots that I do hate. And I, uh, I'm hated. I, I, I want to end all that. I want to be a new creation in Christ. If you want to be included in that prayer, every head's bowed. Nobody's looking but me. Just slip your hand up so I can see you. Awesome. 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 There's hands all over this building. All right. Well, the Bible does say, put your hands down. The Bible does say, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So church, let's just say this together. Can we say this out loud together? Don't just say it loud, just say it out loud. But the the real thing is just to mean it in your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you came to earth to die for me, that you died for my sins, that you were buried and that you rose again. But in doing so, you gave me the ability to beat death and beat hell one day too. Come into my life, forgive me of all my sins, start me over with you leading me. Be the Lord of my life. Be the Lord of my life. Say it again. Be the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus. And just in your own way, just tell him how much you love him. Just thank him right there where you're seated. Just thank him in Jesus' name. Amen.